Welcome to the System Speak podcast, a podcast about dissociative identity disorder. If you are new to the podcast, we recommend starting at the beginning episodes and listen in order to hear our story and what we have learned through this endeavor. Current episodes may be more applicable to longtime listeners and are likely to contain more advanced topics, emotional or other triggering content, and or reference earlier episodes that provide more context to what we are currently learning and experiencing. As always, please care for yourself during and after listening to the podcast. Thank you. Today, our guest is Justin from the Polyvagal Podcast. Welcome. Morning. Good morning. Thank you for talking to me. You're very welcome. I'm super excited about your podcast. I actually just presented about polyvagal theory at a conference last weekend, and so many people were already listening to your podcast and knew about it. Oh, really? That's so cool. It's exciting. It's exciting. So go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit, and then we can chat about it. Okay, uh, my name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California. I'm currently working with in a public school system, so I work with mostly teenagers. Um, I, I've been a therapist for, I think, 11 years now, and all of my experience has been with teens. Um, I've worked with a lot, a lot of younger kids as well. I did a lot of family therapy, play therapy, stand tray, um, substance abuse counseling, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, so in many different sort of, like I've worked in outpatient, I've worked in drug rehab, I've worked in group, re, uh, group homes, um, and now in the public school system. That's amazing. Yeah. I love working with kids. I, I didn't, when I was in school, I might, I always had the private practice thing in my head, but when I, once I got going, um, I realized that working with kids and families and, and with parents is tons of fun, That's which so- I can do in private practice, but I don't know. I've, I've enjoyed I've gotten such a wide array of experience in different settings and also different cities um, that it's I've been very, very fulfilling. That's great. That's great. Where did you first hear about polyvagal? Uh, last summer, so again, I work in the school district, so I don't get summers off exactly. I, I still meet with kids during the summer and do some stuff. I do have more time during the summer to do like research and, and do program development and stuff. So last summer, I didn't feel super satisfied with my level of understanding trauma and i thought i was you know i was a good therapist and all that i felt confident but i felt like there was a gap in my understanding and my ability to help people especially ones that are more like shut down and more uh dissociative and that's when i started doing research on trauma and just through like youtube videos and and um you know reading articles and whatnot but i I stumbled upon peter levine are you familiar with him at all Mm mm-hmm and somatic experiencing, and that absolutely just blew me out of the water to see someone who could work with trauma in a much different way. So that just got me really interested in about the body and how trauma stays in the body, and then that connected me just through you know continuing to research to um, Dr. Porges, and I saw a couple of his lectures and um, was, again, just like blown out of the water that he was able to articulate and really bring this new understanding of how trauma works. And it's, I mean, the, the mechanics of it seem pretty straightforward. And so that really revolutionized the way that I work with the kids that I work with, and uh, especially with the kids that are more dissociative and have heavy trauma. 
And I noticed that when I started implementing these things into my work over the past year or so, that there was a significant difference in um, how kids were presenting to me and opening up to me, and especially in the, their level of safety. And I think kids always felt safe with me, but now that I was more aware of it and really focusing on the safety cues that I was giving, I was seeing a difference in um, in how, and I don't think how rapidly is, is a good way to measure progress or whatever, but they were divulging trauma like a lot more quicker quickly you know and that really kind of struck me as like whoa I'm, I'm doing something different here and i think they're feeling safer and now i'm kind of getting more information out of them and i'm feeling healing quicker as well wow i worked for many years as an outpatient or home-based counseling and seeing adolescents in schools and in the community were you surprised how much not just how much trauma was out there but how many of them really were shut down and dissociative once i recognized what was happening yes and i knew that i was meeting with kids that were dissociating i knew with i was meeting with kids that had heavy trauma histories like i knew that but after understanding the polyvagal theory and especially um dr porters but deb dana does some really good things about polyvagal theory in therapy and, and then Peter Levine being able to track, you know, where trauma stays in the body and all that stuff. So once I was able to track that in session and see how the kids I was meeting with were in shutdown mode and or in flight fight or in safety mode, once I was able to recognize that, that really kind of shook me. And I don't know, it's, I don't know it's, it really changed the way that I was understanding in session. Does that answer your question? I feel like I drifted off there. No, no, that was good. What are you doing differently when you talk about giving oh. cues for safety? So the vocal prosody thing? Yes. Where where you use a more, well, just basically a less monotone voice. And I think that as male, as a male uh, therapist, that male's voices generally have a flatter, more monotone uh, sound to them. And so I was more aware of that and really making sure that, that my care for my stu- the students I was meeting with was coming through my voice and allowing my voice to kind of go up and down and really using every opportunity that I had to speak to use that as an intervention in and of itself. Um, so that was one cue that I really focused on. The other one was um, my body posture and um, really I do a lot of mirroring with my clients, but um, providing safe cues with my body, making sure that I'm giving them enough distance and all that. Um, and what else? Oh, my face. So really making sure that I'm giving safe uh, facial cues and being aware that when things difficult things come in, up in session, how was my face showing? Am I going flat? Am I, you know, a lot of times I'll meet the client where they're at. Like if they're dissociating, I feel myself going there um, just as part of the empathetic you know, sort of process. So monitoring that within myself and then making sure that I'm connected to my safe and social engagement system and really showing that through my face and using my eyes, like showing eye crinkles, which, which is a safety cue, soft, gentle sort of gaze um, rather than, you know, seeing through them or something like that. So, yeah, my face, my voice, body posture, spacing, um, all that kind of stuff really, as I became more and more aware of it, I noticed that they were, it seems like they're, I, I know they're feeling more safe because I see them going up the ladder within the session um, and it seems more rapid, honestly. So I'm seeing them go from, I see like students that I go from being very dissociative to the, by the time that we're leaving that session that they're making eye contact with me and we're smiling together and that there's a shift there, you know? That's amazing. How do you talk to them about 
tracking in their body? Um, well, I, I, I very simply break down the polyvagal ladder. Um, and that is, you know, safety. And then when we don't feel safe, we drop down into flight mode. If we can't uh, run away from the situation, we drop down to fight mode. And if we can't fight against it, then we shut down completely. And that looks different ways. So I very simply break down those steps. Um, and so we, we kind of come to that every now and then during the session. And so they're able to recognize in their body kind of where they're at. And I really encourage them to listen to their body. And I point to like um, my, my chest or my gut and really sort of visually align them. With like this is, you know, where are you, what are you feeling here? What are you feeling here? Are we feeling something somewhere else? And just those four steps of safety, flight, fight, and shutdown, just those four steps seem to be enough for them to, to realize where they're at. And as the session goes along, we'll check in with that, and they can see that they're going up, up, up the ladder, you know. And so that that awareness is one thing, but once a child gets into that safety mode, I like to kind of just for a moment notice it. And there's kids that don't get safety at all um, outside of my session, which is of course super sad. Um, but you can see them reach that point of connection, like true connection because now they're making eye contact and they're holding it and I can see them experiencing that for the first time. And it's really this sort of, it's really for on my end, it's a beautiful moment to, to see someone kind of get there and to see like color come back into their face, like their cheeks get pink and they're making eye contact and they're smiling and they're really sort of, there's almost like a twinkle in their eyes, kind of weird, but they, they're really sort of experiencing the moment with me and, and, and realizing, and I, I'll bring some attention to it that what we're feeling right now, it's, this feels like safety. And that they'll say, I've never felt this before. And so now we have we have um, an experience that we can pull from as we move forward, you know? How do their teachers or other people around notice when these kids are improving or that's translating to other areas of their life? Or are you able to teach them, the teachers, about some of that language? Or what are you seeing? Yeah. Um, I'm seeing teachers desperate for this knowledge and I do collaborate with teachers and kind of share with them, uh, in very simple terms where the, these students are at, like this, this student you're seeing more in uh, flight mode. That's why we see them, um, these certain behaviors. It's not because they're bad or because they're, you know, bad kids or whatever it's, it's that, or that they're trying to avoid their work. Exactly. It's because they're, you know, they're down the ladder. They're in this sort of like flight mode. And to ask them to sit and learn is it's not going to go very far. So they get that. And with very simple language, they, they understand that. Um, it, but the problem I'm having is that not enough teachers know this, and I'm very impatient. Right. <laughs> so I'm really pushing. To, and I, I've done a couple of uh, professional development days where I can teach teachers. I've done a couple of those, and they absolutely love it, and they eat it up. But if, if teachers... I'm noticing so far that when teachers understand where their kids are at, if they can see a child that's feeling unsafe rather than having like a mental disability or something like that or a mental disorder or a mental health disorder, I mean, if they can see them as being unsafe, that it brings a lot more empathy and understanding and patience. And what's really cool is as I explain these simple concepts, the teachers can look inward and be like, oh, I dropped down the ladder in class as well. And then they again, like the empathy really kind of kicks in and they change, they instantly change what they're doing once they, once that awareness comes within themselves as well. So they're working through the physical aspect of even the whole shame theory stuff because 
they are changing the quality of connection they have. I think so. I think that they're, um, I think that alleviating shame is, is a nice little byproduct, but really what, what if, if teachers can be a safe and social person consistently, even in those difficult times, that those safety cues are what, that's what's going to help the student come back into safety, their social engagement system. But it's, it's, I know that when these behaviors pop up, like a meltdown in class or not sitting still or, or screaming in class or whatever, of course we have a reaction to that. And of course teachers will drop down the ladder as well. So it's, it's how it's the point here is like to recognize that's what's happening, but can you stay in your social engagement system and not, and it's okay to drop down the ladder. I get that's happening. I'm not, there's no shame there, but can you stay intact enough with your social engagement system to be that safe person for the student in that moment? That, that seems like it's not just because we're talking about safety, that's not just mm-hmm. healing, but it's also preventative. Oh, hugely. Yeah. The, the benefit of this is, and this is, I think kind of where I, my, hope has shifted within the school system is that we wait sadly we we wait for problems to occur and then we address it and that's that's not preventative that's that's reactionary and really what we want to my goal is is to is to implement these ideas into the classroom before there's a problem because i've like i've talked to teachers who i say like even if we get this kids into like a safe and social mode like even if we address it with this one kid Next year, there's going to be another kid. So we, it's not about the one kid or the two kids or whatever. It's about the classroom structure. It's about the school climate. Um, I want to prevent these things from popping up in the first place. So we can't really wait for the problem. We really have to be very proactive about these things. And I haven't gotten that message out as far as I'd like it to yet, but I think it will be happening more next year as I continue to do these plan development or these uh, professional development days. But there was a, a principal I talked to and as we were talking about this ladder stuff, he recognized in himself, like, oh, I, I, when I interact with the kids, I'm down the ladder. And I, I'm not giving those safe social cues. I, my face goes pretty flat and my, my voice goes monotone. So he realized that. And then he took it upon himself and he said, I should probably start doing, you know, providing more safe and social cues. And I should probably start connecting with these students more often and really making an effort to, to connect with them. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. That's my goal. And once teachers and principals hear this, it instantly clicks. They get it. So it's just a matter, and I, I'm lucky that I'm able to take these really complex ideas from, actually, the pretty simple ideas from Dr. Portis, but the language is pretty complex, and then to translate that into language that's pretty easily understandable by darn near anybody as far as I'm, I'm finding so far. How have you done that with the podcast? How did you, how did you start translating these, this neuroscience and these concepts into simple language that's been so effective on the podcast? That actually, I've had some help with that. So I, I understand, I'm able to understand the concepts. And then what, what I was doing was for my first professional development, I, I, I simplified the language enough, like the word neuroception, I use that in my podcast. But rather than saying neuroception, and when I present it to teachers, I'll say body perception, which is not 100% the way Dr. Portis probably wants it, but it makes sense instantly. And if I, if I, someone doesn't have to learn a new term, like body perception is pretty easily understandable right away. So that's the way my body perceives things. Um, and it's the same concept as neuroception. So I, I just sort of switch it over. On the podcast, I do use neuroception, which is basically the body's detection of safety and danger cues internally and externally. Right. Um, so, I, so what I'll do is 
I just basically like I, I simplified as much as I possibly can, and and really kind of streamline this to, to in a way that people will understand instantly. And so far, the reaction I've gotten from people is like, "This is so easy to understand. I get it. Thank you so much." And so what? But my actually my my boss at work, she when I did my first presentation, I showed her the outline, and she's like. You got you got to really whittle this down even more. So she helped me to even streamline it further, the basic ideas, and, and really forced me to to ask myself, can I actually explain these concepts very simply to anybody? Um, so it was, it was nice to have feedback from somebody, but now I feel like I'm able to do so. And right now, the podcast audience they're getting it really easily, and it makes perfect sense to them. And when I talk about this stuff to clients, they get it instantly. It, it's it's so simple, and it's once you know it, I think in your head. And then you check in with your body; it makes sense instantly. Like that's what I went through. I I went through these steps in that situation or those situations, and it, so it instantly kicks in. Like yeah, that's I went into shutdown during those moments, and and once they get it, it instantly brings this sense of like normalization of like oh, that's why I did that thing, and that's actually really normal and very expected because I'm a mammal and I, I get it not. Like I I, present, I talked about this with really young kids. And they get it. They get it right away. And they're able to pinpoint, when I'm in class, I feel um, like running away. Or when I'm at home around my sibling, I feel like fighting. It's amazing how the truth of it is so not just understood, but experienced immediately. I, I, I agree with you. I, 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 you're so right that it's this instant, like, we get it in our head, but then we feel it. I think we feel it in our bodies of, like, that that's right that that's that's right and when we talk about this stuff people and i'm sure people right now are, that are listening um you instantly like you look inward you know what i mean so when i presented this to teachers i, I predicted um, at, before the training i predicted i said out loud to the teachers i know when you listen to this stuff you're gonna think about your kids first and then you're gonna start wondering about your own kids in your home or your family members and then you're gonna apply this to yourself and because like you just can't help it you, you can't help it like as i hear these things and it makes sense to apply it to your daily life and to your own past. You just, it just, you just go there. My hope is that it, it's a, on my podcast. My, my hope and my goal is to present this in a very safe way. Um, I don't want anyone listening to the podcast to be triggered into any sort of self-harming or severe dissociation or whatever. And of course I don't have control over that, but, but what I do have control over is the way that I present things and my, 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 my huge, huge goal is to present things in ways that are easily understandable and very safe to hear. But I do know that people are going to apply this stuff to themselves. Um, but yeah, I think it's possible to, to, to present this stuff in a way that's easy to understand, but also very safe. And I, I'll use, I, like I use music during my podcast um, every now and then. Um, I'll do like an intro music. I'm sorry, I do. Ha I always have my intro music, but I'll do like a music like sample. Right. We kind of break, yeah, we kind of like break down how we feel during it. Um, I've, I've incorporated... Um, these chimes into my podcast just to sort of recenter and give people a chance to breathe before we go into the main topic. Um, so things like that, just these audio sort of cues that are safe and give people a chance to sort of mentally breathe, you know? How did you get from your research last summer to a podcast this year? Um, I, I, when I research things, I don't take it lightly. I'm pretty obsessive and it was almost all consuming. Luckily, I have good boundaries, and I know when it's family time, and I know when it's work time. But luckily, with my work, I'm able to do research, and I'm able to learn. There's, there's some, I, there's some. That's okay. 
because I'm a therapist and I work in the school system, so my boss encourages us to continue our development. So I'm able to learn at work, which is good, but this carried over into, like, I'd be awake from, I don't know, 9 o'clock to midnight studying um, and learning. And listen, as I'm, I, like, I like to draw a lot. As I'm drawing, I'm listening to lectures by Dr. Portis. So it got to a point where I was really, like, I got it, and I was reading books and uh, articles, anything I could find, I was just sort of consuming it, and I got it. Like, I, I got it well enough to where I thought, you know, I, I can translate this and talk about it. And I did that at work with a couple of presentations to staff. And then I was like, you know, I, I really can do this. And people got it right away. They loved it. And that was the feedback that I was getting from people was that this was so helpful and instantly made sense. And a couple of the staff people said, where can I go for help? Like they realized I need some, some therapy. I need to talk to someone and where can I go for that? So it had such an instant and beneficial impact that I, I can't just sit on this and um, keep it to myself. And I know a lot of people are talking about this stuff, but I feel like I can do it in a pretty unique way. And I think I bring a unique perspective with working in the school system and having lots of experience working with kids and parents and families. So it's, I just felt like it's not something I can sit on and that I have to. I almost kind of felt compelled. Like I just have to start talking about this out loud because I think it can be super beneficial to so many people right away. So I just, if I just sat on this without doing about it, I would feel really antsy. I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel right. I'd feel like I'm, missing out on a part of like who I am, which is to talk about things and sort of, uh, help, you know, I, I just have this impulse within me to sort of help. How do you, why, why a podcast? Why that? Did you like, were you already a fan of podcasts? Have you done other podcasts or why did, why the podcast specifically? Um, I thought that audio would be the best way to go because it allows enough these aren't these are ideas that we can give simply and quickly but it allows enough time to really break down ideas and to really go in depth into them um it, so I, I you know a blog is fine but there's something about like I mean, hearing a voice i think is is um it's a safe it can be a safe experience and that's some of the feedback that i've gotten from people is that somehow hearing my voice is kind of soothing um one of some of the, one of my listeners she says that she does um, she listen to my podcast on Sunday nights during her um, meal prep time for the week and she she's she told me like hearing your voice during those Sunday nights where I'm usually pretty anxious and prepping my meals something about it's kind of soothing so I, I think there's a benefit like I and I think that I do better with saying things out loud I've tried I've attempted blogging in the past and I'm not it just didn't feel right and I could do a YouTube video thing but the amount of editing time and whatnot is, I don't know if I have the patience for it. And um, so I thought podcasting is straightforward enough and it gives me enough time to really go really deep into ideas. And, um, you know, just as far as my life goes, it's streamlined. I record it, do a little bit of editing and I upload it. So it's streamlined. It fits into my life, my lifestyle pretty darn well. I have done some blogging. I have a few posts on my website um, and I don't, and I want to keep doing it. Basically what I'll do is people will ask me a question and I'll use that on the blog anonymously, and I'll, I'll edit the heck out of the question too. But um, so I have some blog stuff going, but just talking out loud seems to be a more of a natural fit for me. And I do a lot of outlining, but I like to talk out loud. I've, I've been doing parenting presentations my entire therapy career for the past 11 years, and I, I have so much fun doing those. And it's um, I, I, honestly, I really prefer talking out loud with people and getting those reactions and seeing those light bulbs go off. I love that experience. So doing the podcast is like, I get at least get half the experience where I'm talking out loud 
but really I want to transition into doing uh, speaking engagements um, because I love the interaction. I love seeing those light bulbs go off and experiencing that in the moment. Have you been surprised how well the podcast has taken off so yes. early? Yes, I am. I, I'm, um, I am constantly, <laughs> I'm constantly surprised. I check my stats throughout the day just because I'm so curious and it feels good. It's, it's kind of rewarding to see that the amount of listens are going up daily. So yeah, absolutely blown away. One of the big boosts that happened recently was on Instagram. I believe her name is the holistic psychologist, the dot holistic dot psychologist. I believe that's her, that's her name uh, or her handle. Um, she basically just shared something in her stories that I had posted and in one day, I'd gotten like 800 new followers, which is huge. And I'm sure a good chunk of those people, you know, gave the podcast a try. So, but yeah, I'm absolutely blown away that people are attracted to this, that like they've heard of the polyvagal theory. And so what they're doing is they're looking up the polyvagal theory and they're finding my podcast because it's not, it's pretty darn niche. Like no one else is doing that as far as I know. So the, the way that people are finding it is surprising to me and how many people are attracted to it i knew i know the information is good and I, I know it's helpful and i think it's very healing but i am surprised it's taken off this quickly this this much i'm like I'm, I'm only a couple months into it and i have a pretty deep um listener base and people who are dming and emailing me saying how beneficial it is so yeah i'm pleasantly pleasantly surprised and extremely humble like like wow i, um, I really have to make sure i'm taking it very of course a lot of taking it very seriously, taking a lot of responsibility over it. Cause I, I, I know that people are listening to it that are desperate for help. And so I, I really put it upon myself to treat that with a lot of love and respect. You know, I keep saying, you know, as a, as a way to end the sentence. <laughs> That's okay. The, I think that it speaks to how well you're doing it and how connected you are to your audience, which sort of emphasizes the topic you're talking about because people keep listening yeah. But I also think it speaks to how badly people need to know about this and how important what a breakthrough it is to understand this. People are hungry for it in the first place. They really are. And I, I think that people are hungry for normalization, to feel normal and to feel like they're not different. And I think it's sad because I think that in my profession that we don't do a super great job of that and that therapists rely on things like saying um, – that people have a chemical imbalance or that they are have some sort of hereditary problem. And I can't prove or disprove that, but I don't, I don't see it as super healing. So to tell people about their autonomic nervous system, which seems odd, but that, you know, we shift to these different states based on safety and danger. That is instantly, like I'm just, I'm always blown away about how instantly people get that. And right away it brings a sense of like, and I hear it from the clients that I meet with, and I hear it from, I'm seeing it from people that listen that like, oh, that makes sense. That I get. Rather than leaving a therapy appointment with them being told that they have some sort of chemical imbalance, which doesn't really, I don't know how helpful that is, whether it's true or not. It does, I don't know how helpful that is, you know. But hearing that you're normal seems to help. And then being able to explain to someone, this is, I can prove you're normal. This is what you, how this is, this is what our bodies go through. And for them to be able to like, yeah, yeah, that, that's it. That's the, that's what I went through. That's it right there. And then to say, yeah, that's, that's what you're supposed to, that's how you're supposed to handle these situations. You were in an experience where you're, you thought your 
or your body felt like your body was under life threat. So you shut down. You're supposed to do that. And that right away is like, oh, it doesn't it doesn't fix everything. It doesn't heal everything. But it, it definitely starts the process, I think. Absolutely. It's so powerful. It what? is. Yeah, it's, it's hugely, hugely powerful. But it's so simple, too. Right. And, it, and, it, and when you hear it, like your body knows it. It's like, yeah, that's what I went through. Your body knows. Yes, yes, yes. What would you tell someone who is a listener, just mostly adults on this podcast, but what would you tell someone who didn't know anything about polyvagal that is specific for someone who is often dissociating or needing to be more grounded or more connected to their body? I would would really encourage them to just learn the fundamentals. Is, Is it okay if we go through the fundamentals real quick? Absolutely. You, I will be putting links to your podcast, of course. Up, oh, thank you. But definitely give us a rundown. And it's it's so and so in the podcast, I go way in depth into these ideas in a very safe way. Right. But the fun, the fundamentals are that we, as mammals, not because we're human, but just as mammals, like we we share this trait with like dogs, and uh, I think dolphins. I think dolphins are mammals, right? Dolphins and dogs and um, I don't know primate or other primates. So it's not just because we're human, but mammals, we have this thing called our social engagement system. And when we're in our social engagement system, we're able to do things like smile with each other and use vocal prosody, which is our voice going up and down, just like mine right now. Like when you ask a question, you, you end the question like, do you know what I mean? Like you, you like your voice goes up at the end of the question, like that's vocal prosody. We're using our up and down ability. And that's a cue of safety. So there's all these things that we do in our social engagement system um, and like eye contact and eye crinkles and like I said, smiles. So that's our social engagement system. And when we sense, when our body perce- perceives danger, which is called neuroception, when our body detects danger, we shift down. Uh, Deb Bannon calls it the polyvagal ladder. We shift down into flight mode, which is basically our engine starts going and we want to run away. That's the basic idea. And when we can't run away from certain situations that are dangerous, we shift down into fight mode which is we want to fight. We, we have no other option but to fight back. But in many situations where we're overpowered or, um, are, or we perceive the person in the room has more power than us, like a principal, that in, in certain, or um, a parent that's you know, um, abusive, that we shift down into our shutdown state. Like if we can't run away and we can't fight, then we basically shut down. We, we, we perceive that uh, or we neurocept our body perceives or detects that we are under life threat. And so we shut down, which can look like collapsing or actual freezing or even dissociation where we leave our body, their experience of like leaving our bodies. Um, So that's, that's the nuts and bolts of it. That's the basics of it. And it's not like we choose to do these things. These things just happen and we, it's not not a choice. Then that's what I love about the polyvagal theory is that are really, because I I know a lot of uh, survivors will have a lot of blame self-blame a lot of shame and they'll ask like why didn't i do this or that um but it's not about why didn't you it's it's about you your body survived it did what it had to do to survive the situation so for the listeners that more might be more dissociative that's the process that you may have gone through and it's expected like that's kind of how it's supposed to happen when we're under life threat and that's how possums experience life threat as well they just sort of shut down um and so this, the experience of dissociation in particular, from what Dr. Portis says, is that it, it, when we're in shutdown mode, our body really shuts down. Our heartbeat goes way low, um, and our blood pressure goes a lot lower. Like, we're, our body is conserving its energy 
in preparation, it, it goes numb. But what happens is our blood flow to the brain drastically reduces, and that's called so it's the experience of dissociation. So if you're listening and dissociation is um, something you're experiencing, it's part of the shutdown response. So for some reason, your body is ex- is experiencing a life threat um, detection. Even it doesn't have to be like the you can drop your kids off at school and, and something might trigger that, and then your body perceives that I'm under life threat, which will be of course connected to the past. It's not about am I under life threat in the moment. It's about um, what when we survive traumas we can easily stay stuck in those defensive states. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So that that's what I would say is that, of course, it's tied to the past. Um, all, it seems like darn near all the time um, to our childhood and the way we were raised, the things that we survived. And that care, if we don't get healing from that, we stay stuck in these defensive states. Um, and I'll keep it, I'll keep it there. I don't want to go too deep into that. But that's the basic idea, and as we stay stuck in these states, these these states, we like we we can stay stuck and shut down in this sort of dissociative state for years and years and years and years, and um, so these things will like some people will be in a, a situation that they feel or that their body perceives as being a life threat, and they instantly go into that shutdown state, and that's because they already kind of exist in this shutdown state. They are they're already kind of there, so when they perceive certain things. And it could be it could be like the tiniest of triggers that nobody else would ever perceive, but for them, it's a, it's a significant trigger, and they'll, they'll go into that dissociative state because they're already kind of there, and they, and they never came out of that and into fight mode and into flight mode and then into healing because we have to go through the whole process. We can't just jump up into heal into safe and social engagement and the safe and social system. We have to go through these the latter. We have to go from shutdown into fight mode into flight mode, and then into uh, being safe and social. That doesn't mean we have to fight somebody, and that doesn't mean we have to actually run away from people. Uh, but but it's it's the it's basically when you go from shutdown into that flight fight mode, there's this sympathetic energy that kicks up like your engine starts going again. And you kind of have to release that energy before going back up into your, your safety and social engagement system. Can some of that fight mode, for example, be channeled a bit? Like the therapeutic process that itself can be so intense and difficult. Can you use some of that fight energy and sort of to climb back up into the ladder to focus on therapy and that be what you're fighting? I don't mean fighting therapy, but sort of, (laughs) does that make sense what I'm asking? I'm not sure. I think so. Let me, let me, I'll do the best I can answer and let me know if I got it, if it's helpful or not. But yeah, absolutely. There's kids that, I mean, so many of the kids I work with are ready to fight somebody. And, um, we don't, you know, I don't, we don't put on boxing gloves and fight each other. What we do is I help them to notice how they feel and talk about it. And that seems to help. But specifically what I'll do is when they talk about wanting to fight someone, I'll say, tell me about it. Like, tell me what you want to do to that person. And that doesn't make it real. It doesn't make them go out and do it. But what it does is it allows them to visualize it. And that visualization, their body kind of experiences it. And so that, and I've seen kids do that. Like, look, tell me what you want to do. Like, tell me, you know, what is it you want to say to your mom? And fighting doesn't mean fighting. It, it means being aggressive. So, you know, I want to tell my mom off. Like, all right, well, let's act that out. Like, tell me about it. And that in itself can help them get to the next step. I, I've seen that kind of help. And then they go into this sort of flight mode where they're more anxious. And you can see their legs, like, tapping. 
Um, and then they, we kind of, we could do the same process with that is a lot. Of, and this is what I see a lot is when, when they get to that flight mode that now we start talking about like independence and getting out of the house and what does the future look like? And I'll say, okay, well, tell me about it. Like, tell me what your future looks like. Tell me what it looks like to move out of the house. And what we're talking about is escape. And that seems to help. And then once they do that, then I see them go into making more eye contact with me, really calming down and being able to think more clearly. So I, I, all that's just from talking. And I will do things in session here and there. Um, like if, some, if I know someone's in fight mode and they're really struggling with it, that I'll have them like push their hands together and really use their upper muscles. And this is, I'm not nearly an expert in this at all, but this is a lot of, um, I would recommend people looking at somatic experiencing, which is something I would love to do more of. Actually, I don't do actually, let me clear that up. I am not a somatic experiencing practitioner. I am jealous of people who are. It's really good, I, right? <laughs> it's, oh my God, it seems so amazing. I think, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I, I kind of, I'm just jealous. And I know that I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not ready to go back to school and do all the, I don't want more, I don't want more um, college debt. I just, or school debt. <laughs> so there, I have my, I have my stories that keep me away from doing it. But um, but there's little simple things like, you know, pushing your hands together and really flexing your chest muscles and your arm muscles that seem to help. And what, when people, when kids do that, they'll say like, Oh, I feel like this tingling or I feel like some sort of alleviation um, or kids that are more like flight mode. Um, even younger ones, instead of telling them, Hey, let's, like when, when I pick them up and walk to our session, I don't tell them like, Hey, this is how we're supposed to walk. I, I'll ask them like, how do you want to walk? Do you want to hop to our session? Do you want to like run? I'll run with you. Let's run. Or do you want to skip or whatever? That way we're using that energy and now we're being mindful of it and we're choosing it. And now you're with someone, you're feeling safe. There's some social engagement involved there. Uh, or I'll ask them like, let's walk to the, our session, but let's count our steps. How many steps do you take? How many steps do I take? And that, what it brings is, is just, it just brings us awareness of how your body's feeling and what it's doing. Because what I'm seeing with people, kids and adults that are in these modes is that there's a disconnect. Like their body is, their body is in this flight mode or fight mode, but there's a disconnect between the body and the mind. The mind is somewhere else. They're, they're, you know, they're thinking about all kinds of stuff or avoiding thinking about all kinds of stuff and their body's just sort of doing stuff, but they're not aware of it. And this really looks like ADHD, like kids that are, you know, shaking their legs all the time. They're looking all around their bodies doing stuff they're, They have this energy, but they're not mentally connected to their body. So the energy is not, it doesn't seem to actually be being discharged. Like the energy is still there, but once we can bring an awareness to how they feel and where they're storing the energy in their body, um, that seems to help release some of it. And of course, bringing safe and social cues to the session uh, and being able to, like that's, that seems to be more healing to combine like some sort of physical outlet or at least an awareness of what our body's going through and imagining an outlet that seems to help as well. Well, and it sounds like you're not just attuning with them, like you're providing them attunement as well, but you're also teaching them how to sort of attune with themselves. You have to. Yeah. Um, you really have to, and there's, yeah, you have to, and it's sometimes it's just like for kids that are hugely dissociative, we can still bring some level of attunement to that and recognizing, yeah, I'm not in my body. And I'll say things like, where are you at? Are you floating above your head? And they'll be like, yeah, I'm there. So like right away now we're, now we're some, there's some sort of sync happening. And I allow myself in session to kind of feel a little bit of what they're feeling. I'm pretty good with being empathetic. And when I feel dissociative, I know that they're going through that as well. But the difference is that I'm able to 
stay attached to my safe and social engagement system. So I'm good. Like I'm fine. And I can tolerate that easily, but I know that they aren't. And they're a lot, they're probably, I know they're a lot deeper in that dissociation, but, um, sometimes I'll ask them, well, how, how much are you in your body versus not in your body? And they can, they can say like, I'm 10%, I'm 50% in my body. I'm 75% in my body. And that brings an awareness, which is something. And then as I continue to provide safe and social cues, I'll check in with them. How much are you in your body now? And it goes up and it goes up and it goes up as I'm just providing safe and social cues and bringing genuine curiosity and, you know, listening to them and all the therapeutic kind of stuff, you know? Oh, I did it again. I said, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. It's a good example of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So them being aware of their body is, um, I, that's, that's, I think a major change that I, that I made in how I'm doing therapy is, is even if I'm, I'm like, I'm not a somatic experiencing therapist, I'm not going to pretend to be one. I want to be one, but, um, <laughs> but I can at least bring, help them bring an awareness of how are you feeling right now in the moment? And I, throughout the session, I always ask, how are we doing right now? And I'll, I don't interrupt them, but I'll, I'll, I'll just pause. Like, how, let's check in with ourselves right now. How are you doing? Because that's different than how did I feel in the past? And to bring an, like a, you know, an awareness of the past versus the present seems to be, healing as well and we can track in the moment like i'm getting better talking about this stuff is helping me get better or is it helping is it making it worse do we have to slow down should we take a break um do we need water you know and sort of pacing ourselves and i don't like i know that talking about stuff makes things worse in the moment not to make it worse but the experience of it is difficult in the moment and some level of that is okay but i don't want to i don't want my clients to go further than they're able to and one of the things that I talk about in my podcast is called the bagel break, which is basically our tol- our ability to be resilient and tolerate going down the ladder, but then coming right back up. And we, we really have to build our bagel break or our, our resiliency before we push further into some trauma memories and stuff like that. So I have to be, they well, the clients and I have to be really attuned to how we doing right now as we talk about stuff and where do we need to slow down? Do we need to take a break or is that enough for today? And that brings, I think, I think a big awareness, like a, not only an awareness, but an ownership. And, um, and I think resiliency, like over time, they're able to tolerate more and more and they'll just sort of dis- disclose more and more um, of their stories, or not, not the stories, but of what happened to them. I don't like calling them stories. How do they develop their vagal break? It's, it's um, well, that's, that's a huge question. It's a good one, though. In session, we develop the vagal break by on my end by providing safe and social cues and them working their way up the ladder, which is going to build the resiliency. And once they get to the safety state to have like, that's our, now we know what it looks like. Now we know what it feels like. Now we know what the experience of being safe is. And then as they drop down the ladder, now we can compare that to the safe and social system. So developing the big old break is really is, is, is the exercising going up and down the ladder in a safe way. And so the kids do this, like our kids in our home, as we play with them, it develops their, their vagal break. Cause as we play and so it's, it's so important that parents play with their kids as, as we play with them, they're exercising being in a safe and social state with us, like smiling and laughing and, you know, being tickled and all that. But then also dropping down the ladder in a safe way. So like when we play tag, they're being mobilized. They're running around. They're using some sympathetic energy, but they're in a safe and social state. So they're learning to tolerate being in a sympathetic state, which is uh, the flight mode, 
just like playing tag. I know it sounds silly, but that's really what it is. And so they're, they're learning to go from I'm, I'm mobilized, but I can be safe at the same time. And kids that come from homes where they're not getting safe attachment or safe play, when they're mobilized, they don't know how to tolerate that. So these kids that are like, uh, they go out to like their recess or their lunch period, and they're mobilized, they're moving around, but they don't know how to tolerate that and be interactive with other people. So their vagal break is not strong enough because they haven't gotten those, um, those safe and social cues at home to be able to tolerate things like being more mobilized with play, or how to handle a tantrum, like kids that go into tantrum are, are down the ladder, and um, they don't, they're not born being able to self-regulate. As parents, we have to help them. It's called co-regulation, it's huge. We have to bring them safe and social cues to help them come out of a tantrum, back up the ladder, and that doing that process helps to build the bagel break. It helps to build their resiliency in handling distress, and in, in handling going down the ladder. So if you if you have a strong enough bagel break, things throughout the day that are pretty minute, like the example I like to use is um, getting the wrong item at Starbucks or something like that, those little moments that aren't a big deal for someone who has a, a good strong enough bagel break, they can handle that and be like, oh, you got it wrong, do you mind switching it out? And it's not a big deal. But for people who don't have a strong enough bagel break, they those, those little moments become big moments and they flip out right. <laughs> and they you know they tell off the worker or whatever. Because their vagal break isn't, at least in that moment, is not strong enough to handle that mild distress. So the way we build our vagal break is by handling moments of distress, especially I think in early childhood, but it can develop as we get older as well, is handling moments of mild distress and realizing that we can access our safe and social system, but the vagal break is only as strong as um, as it's developed, I think, through childhood and with safe and social people. But of course, with therapy, as people get older, it's not like it's lost. You can de- you can totally develop that. Uh, but early childhood is so so important in developing the strength of our vagal break. And re- and really, the vagal break is not. I want to make sure people understand, the vagal break is not a separate thing in our bodies. So what I how I understand the vagal break is the safe and social system, the top of the polyvagal ladder, that is the vagal break. So the strength of our safe safe and social system actually will inhibit, it'll keep down our sympathetic, I don't I feel like I'm getting too wordy here, but basically our, our safe and social system keeps our defensive states like flight, fight, and shutdown, it keeps those at bay, like it keeps those down, like we, we don't drop down into those states when we have a strong enough safe and social system. So that is the vagal break. Does, does that make sense? Yes, that's lovely. Okay. And it sounds okay. like for survivors who missed out on those childhood experiences or had other experiences that interfered with those, then the therapeutic process itself, the experience of therapy, when, once you find a good therapist that's connected and attuned and all of that, then part of what helps is the process itself, almost an exposure kind of way of that. I'm safe. Yeah. I can talk about these things, but I'm still safe at the same time. Yeah, I think it's a really good way of putting it is that there, yeah, there is some, yeah, I mean, therapy is, there's, there's some level of exposure there, even, you know, thinking about whatever happened that you survived or talking about it. Um, yeah, there's some level of exposure there. So you are dropping down the ladder if you're not there already. But you're also con- hopefully connecting with someone who is actually listening, actually understanding, and giving those safe and social cues. 
So those safe and social cues and that connection with that person, that's what's going to help you either come out of those defensive states or to drop down into them as you share your story and then come right back up. It reminds me of the way the whole nervous system works itself in that loop because even the exposure to it in therapy of experiencing safety, at the same time you're practicing that. So there's sort of a double feedback going on. I'm sorry, I, I'm not asking you to repeat that. I'm, 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 I want to check in with you and make, see if you're okay. For some reason, I feel like I just this urge to check in and make sure you're okay because I know this is pretty sensitive stuff. So I, I don't know. I, I just want to see if you're doing okay. Me? Yeah. Yes, I'm good. Is that okay? Like I just, I don't know. I, I just felt this urge to be like, are, are you doing okay? Maybe that's my own stuff coming up. But um, are, are you doing okay? Yes. All right, cool. Do you mind repeating that question? Because I totally lost track there and I went somewhere else. I honestly, I, I may have dissociated there a little bit. That's okay. But I'm back. I'm good. I was saying it reminds me of the vagal nerve itself and sort of how this nervous system works in that the same time you're being exposed and experiencing that, you're also practicing it. And there's sort of a double feedback going on. That's exactly what's happening is that, yeah, as we're talking about stuff, as we're talking about stuff, yeah, we drop, we do, we drop down the ladder, which is, we activate so the the vagal nerve. It's 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 a nerve, but it has different like systems attached to it. So the nerve goes from the bottom of your brain all the way down to your gut. But along the path of this nerve, it connects to your safe and social system, which which is from your heart to your brain to your face, and then it connects to your flight fight system, which is your limbs, like your legs and your arms. And then it connects to um, your shutdown system, which is in your gut, and that just shuts everything down. So as we're in therapy, yeah, you're activating these different systems in therapy in the moment. You're going down into these different systems. Does that make sense? Yes. So, yeah, you're, you're literally activating these different states, these different defensive states in therapy. But hopefully, again, like hopefully you're with that person that is able to give you those safe and social cues to help you come back up the ladder. And I think what happens is in therapy that we, we, we really don't want to rush these things. I don't think at all. And then we let people talk about what they're ready to talk about and they go down the ladder or actually really kind of come up the ladder. I think little by little by little, it's, it's a long, especially for people who are more shut down dissociative. It's um, it's, it can be a very long process. It's a very gentle process. We have to really take our time because if as a therapist we're rushing people, um, that that pressure is a danger cue. So we're actually keeping people in those those defensive states of being flight, fight, or even shut down. So we really have to kind of take our time. And I just sort of trust that my client knows what's best for them and what they're ready for. And as long as I'm providing a safe as long as I'm providing a safe avenue or as as long as I'm being a safe person that their nervous system, they will get to where they need to be. And I just sort of trust that. And of course I do my end of things. And if I see they're stuck, I'll try and do, you know, some awareness kind of things, or maybe we have to, we have to, we have to like get up and move a little bit. So I, on my end, I'm, I'm pretty darn active as well. But um, yeah, we, I really have to trust that they know how much they can handle in the moment and, and checking in with them in the moment. How are we doing? Just like, it, just like it with you, honestly, I think it was more for myself, but just checking in, like how are we doing right now? And that helps to bring a level of safety is I, I am in the moment. I'm not back then. I am here. I am with Justin. I, I am with a safe person. And and so, yeah, we're activating these different states 
of the of um, the vagus nerve we're act we're, like, we're hitting on those yeah either coming up or coming down them yeah and it's interesting that with the vagus nerve that it's if you heard that it's actually it's a higher it's really interesting it's a hierarchy that our safe and social system is at the top and that um, the flight fight response which comes next is below that on on the nerve and then below that is the shutdown system so it really evolved in this sort of um, bottom up approach like it's a, it's a product of of evolution what is there anything else that a therapist who's just now learning about polyvagal theory needs to know um as honestly the answer is as much as possible i, I think that uh, yeah that, that's really as much as possible because like i've given the basic i mean this the, the fundamental basics which is a lot i think but as i learn about this stuff more and yeah as i continue to learn about this stuff it adds like a new wrinkle to what i'm learning like i feel more light bulbs going off um so the it, it's not just like a one-time thing it's not just i don't think it's just you listen to the podcast and you're good to go I think it's like I'm constantly, constantly still. But right before you and I talked, I was reading an article um, with, with Stephen Porges. Like I just, it's not. I don't think it's a one-time thing. It's we have to keep learning about it. Um, I think my podcast is a pretty good way to continue to get some sort of education in it. But I look at I'm secondary. Like I, Dr. Porges is, he's the primary source here. So really look up him, and he he's understandable. He's very academic, and his book, The Polyvagal Theory is extremely academic. I couldn't even finish it. I got 50 pages into it and I'm like, I'm out, I'm done. <laughs> um, I do, I, I promise I'm going to come back and finish that book. That's, that is a huge goal of mine, but he has like, his lectures are more, more, um, digestible. His, uh, he's got some articles. He does interview, lots of interviews. He's apparently pretty giving with his time. He's awesome. That are more, you know, but I would really recommend therapists and not just therapists, but like I'm, I'm hearing from like, you know, uh, massage therapists, um, occupational therapists, all kinds of people who are in helping professions, teachers. And like, if you, if you, if this is understandable, great, but I would really encourage you to, um, to keep working and also to like work, you know, for yourself as well. It's not enough to learn about what our clients are going through that we have to be aware of where we're at. And I'll use the example of, you know, when I was talking with you right now that I went somewhere else, like I, I went somewhere else. But, I, but my bagel break is strong enough to be like, oh, where, where'd I go? Let's, let's come on back over here. And daydreaming is kind of an aspect of that. But um, I kind of went somewhere else for a moment. And if I wasn't aware of this stuff, if I wasn't aware of what was happening to me in the moment and that I was really kind of in some sort of mild dissociative state for a moment there, that I could have easily gotten lost into that. So therapy, and I know therapists are extremely empathetic and we, we feel what our clients are feeling, hopefully. And it, if we don't keep that in check, if we don't, stay attached to our safe and social system, we can easily get lost into that stuff. And what happens is when we get lost in that stuff, now we start to provide danger cues. Our face goes flat. Our, um, the color from our face gets lost. Our body posture changes. So if you heard this stuff and you get it, cool, awesome. That's a great first step, but keep learning about it. And this, for me, this is now pretty much, it is like, it's a daily practice of learning and learning and learning. And, and really being aware of myself and how I feel throughout the day now. And I know that when I go to my kids' like gym class, that is the <laughs> that place is I'm – I'm on, like, overload over there because there's so many cues of <laughs> danger. Right. Like, there's just, the, like, the music and there's people crossing in front of me. I have, like, proximity issues. I'm a pretty big person, so 
I have these proximity issues. I lots of sound and that gym class is like so overwhelming that I know that when I'm there, I drop down the ladder and I want to get the heck out of there. I want to run away. So I'm aware of that, which helps me to regulate my breathing. I can be more aware of it. I can, um, make purposely make eye contact with like my wife who comes like we're there together or I'll look at my kids and like smile that helps me kind of come back up the ladder and remind my nervous system that I'm safe. So, you know, learning about it's great, but we have to really be aware of ourselves in and out of session um, to make sure that we're providing those safe and social cues for our clients. And if you can't do that, like that's to me, that's the fundamentals of therapies is being a safe person. That's really like, like that's where it starts. That's where therapy starts. Wow. Thank you so much. You're welcome. What, go ahead and tell us your website and podcast where people can learn more. Um, the website is justinlmft.com. The podcast is called Polyvagal Podcast. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, the handle is justinlmft. Um, yeah, that's the best places to reach me. I don't, I don't have a LinkedIn. I don't, I don't like Facebook. I don't use Facebook. But uh, those are the best places. I'm very responsive to DMs or emails. I'm not overloaded so much that I can't respond to people. So feel free to reach out. The Polyvagal Podcast, again, is very safe. I, I go and I do go into more depth into these concepts, but I do so in a very safe way. I, there's no sharing of like stories um, because I know people are going to go there anyways. So I don't I don't share any um, no client obviously no client stuff, but I don't share any you know trauma stories that that's just not a part of it and i don't think it needs to be because i think people i know people will go there anyways and i I warn people ahead of time if i feel like it's a safe episode or not and i'll kind of give like i feel like it's pretty safe but i don't know where you're at so i can't predict that for you um but for the most part every episode has been i think very very safe and and easy to understand that's amazing thank you for all that you're doing you're so welcome and and, and people are really grateful um and everyone like you're so welcome but I get so much out of this that it's, I just can't not at this point. Um, I just have to. And it's, it's so fulfilling on my end to know that that some people are being helped by it, you know? So I'm getting so much out of this. So thank you for being a listener. I appreciate it. I have, I've listened to all your episodes so far and, and I appreciate you speaking with us today. You're so welcome. I've looked at some of your stuff too, and a few of them, and it's really got me interested about um, DID, and it's really challenging me to be like, okay, how well, you know, how well do I know my stuff? And there's there's a big gap in my knowledge there, so it's got me so excited about learning more. So thank you. Oh sure. Thank you for listening. Your support of the podcast, the workbooks and the community means so much to us as we try to create something together that's never been done before. Not like this. Connection brings healing. And you can join us on the community at www.systemspeakcommunity.com. We'll see you there.